Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you all this morning. As I'm sure you are all aware, um, the world is in extremis. Peace is at peril. And we are to be people of prayer. So I think it would do well for us this morning to take a moment to pray for what's happening in our world and to ask God's grace and movement uh, in the hearts and the lives of, of leaders and people that are suffering. And so we are going to pray for God's peace. I invite you, if you are able to, um, to kneel with me, if you can, if you would feel so inclined, and we will pray together. We praise you, O Father God, the God of the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. What you open, no one can shut. What you shut, no one can open. The hearts of kings and leaders are channels in your hands. And we do pray, Father, for the leaders of our nation, of Ukraine, of Russia, China, NATO leaders, that you would move their hearts toward peace, move their hearts toward resolution and reconciliation. We pray, Father, that you would bring them to repentance for any evil that is taking place in their hearts, in their actions. And we pray that you would protect the innocent. Father, there are many fleeing Ukraine perhaps mainly women and children and the elderly. Um, They're fleeing destruction and their lives and livelihoods are being uh, threatened and destroyed. We pray that you would protect them, give them safe passage to a safe place. Pray that you would bring them to countries where they would be taken care of. And it is amazing to see that in in Poland and Slovakia and Romania and the places where they're to where they are fleeing, they are finding um, the church in many cases and believers, some of whom are our own missionaries who are caring for their needs and proclaiming the gospel to them. And we pray that this which is meant for evil, you will mean for good and that the gospel would be on display, and that many would come to know Christ. In the meantime, we pray for a minimal loss of life, a resolution to this problem, that there would be peace in Ukraine. We know that on both sides of, in both of those countries, Russia and Ukraine, there are your people who seek peace, and they too are praying, Father God, for you to hasten an end to the hostilities, and we pray that that would be the case. Please protect the innocent, and please, we pray that there would be glory to the name of Christ through all of this in our nation and in those nations abroad. We leave these things at your feet, for you are sovereign and good, and we know that your will will be done. These things we pray in the name of our great great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now I'm going to ask you to stand up. 
exercise those joints. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're reading verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So please give attention to the reading of God's word. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. There are a lot of hymns that talk about the foundation of the Lord. We sang one this morning. How firm a foundation. Another one, of course, that we're familiar with is the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because that is the foundation. You, you heard it. You read it in the text this morning. There is no other foundation than the foundation that is laid, and it is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that means for us as a church that everything that we do is in him. It is by him. It is through him. It is for him. And I'm running out of prepositions about him because it is about him. Everything is about him. Everything is for him. And all that we have comes from him. This is a somber passage, like last week's was as well, the warning to move on to, to maturity from those who are living as if they are unsaved Paul is continuing to warn the Corinthians here because this is indeed a warning. It's, it's sobering. It's somber. There is encouragement for us, but it is meant to be a warning to the Corinthians. This passage is about rewards. And not just how you live the Christian life, but about your role in building the church. God has gifted each of us to build his church for which we will be held accountable. That's what this is about. God has gifted each of us to build his church for which each and every one of us will be held accountable in how we did serve in building his church. And so this is about rewards. Some people think that this passage is just about how you live the Christian life and you, you get rewards. No, it's very specific. It's how you build his church, how we build the body of Christ. And so we'll see that as it plays out. So let's get right to it. Verses 10 and 11. Take care how you build on the foundation of Christ. 
we are going to be building this building. We are building it. It is based on the foundation of Christ, and we're going to get to the take care part in a minute, but we need to pay attention. We need to be careful. We need to take note of how we build on the foundation. He says in verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. According to the grace that was given to me, he says, and grace means gift, and this gift of grace was given to him. And what Paul is talking about is is this uh, is building the church. He leaves the the um, the illustration, if you will, the metaphor of the field, because uh, in verse eight he introduced the idea of rewards, where he said, "He who plants and he who waters are one." Each one will receive his reward according to his own labor. And he's talking about Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, the Lord brings the the increase. But in verse 9, he turns from agriculture to building. Because he says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, agriculture, and then he changes it, the turn of a word, you're God's building. And now he's going to take a different tact in explaining to them their responsibility to, to trust in God in, 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 in the, the church in Corinth instead of uh, uh, trusting in the, the methods and the power of men. But he says, according to the grace that was given to me, he recognizes that all that he has done is by God's grace. God chose him for the task. God gifted him and empowered him. And everything that he did in planting churches was by the grace of God. It's not because he was a a, a great man. It's not because he was so intelligent. And he has made that point over and over and over again. It was by God's grace. And he is recognizing This point is going to go all the way to chapter 4. It was started back in chapter 1. All that they are as Corinthians and all that we are as Valley Bible Church is due to the gracious work of God. It's due to the wisdom of God. It is due to the power of God. And it is not in any way due to the wisdom and the power of mankind the cleverness of this world, none of that. And he's reemphasizing that. All that they are is due to the gracious work, and that's true of us as well. And Paul calls himself a wise master builder. The word here for builder uh, is the word architectone. We get the word architect from it. Uh, It's a word that just sounds like what it is in English. He is not, though, in the sense the designer. He is. Uh, this word is used in in Greek as a as a as a wise builder, as someone who is skilled. I know some translations say skill, but I think wise is more uh, in keeping with the uh, the context. Because remember the contrast that Paul has been making uh, in chapter one and chapter two. You have the wisdom of God, and you have the foolishness of mankind. The wisdom of God, what was the wisdom of God? It is the cross of Christ. What is the wisdom of man? His own methods, his own uh, puny, unlasting things, you know, every, the cleverness of mankind that is foolishness compared to God. So he is a wise builder because he's building upon the gospel. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God, and so he is a wise builder because his building is about the gospel of Christ. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified. He's played his part. He had a role to play. God gave him, gave him the giftedness to do it, and he laid the foundation. But then he says in verse 10, at the second part of verse 10, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. I want you to take note of this. This is the, the one imperative in the passage. An imperative is like a command. Be careful how you build on the foundation. Pay attention. Take note. He's commanding them to watch out. Why? Because it's important. If this foundation is the foundation of Jesus Christ, the building has to be built commensurate with the foundation. It has to correspond to the foundation. And each of us must be careful how we build because the foundation is God's work and it's not our own. There will be accountability on how our work is managed. It's not trivial. It's eternal. It is the work of eternity that we do in the church, each and every one of us. It is the work and the building that lasts rather than, as Paul has said all along, the work and the wisdom of the rulers of this age is temporary and is not lasting and fading away. So be careful. Watch out. Pay attention to how you build on the lasting foundation who is Jesus Christ. And he says that in verse 11, this is who the foundation is. Verse 11, for no one can lay another foundation other than the one that is laid. And he names him, which is Jesus Christ. Paul identifies the foundation not as a thing, but as a person. Do you see the difference? It, there are metaphors to talk about this spiritual building, but, but it is fa- based upon Christ himself. The foundation is not only the person, but it is, it, is, it is, of course, his work, that he was crucified, that he died, that he rose again. This happened in time and space and history. And though theology and doctrine and creeds and confessions are important, they're not the foundation of the of the church. The foundation of the church is the real Jesus, that is, that he really lived and really died, the person of Christ himself, not just the concept of a Christ crucified, not just the proposition of a Messiah who died and rose from the dead, but the reality that that Jesus really did live and die and rise from the dead. We must always keep in mind that our theology represents a reality. Truth. Truth is that which conforms with reality. We don't just believe in a series of propositions that are systematic, and systematic theology is very important, but we need to remember that the propositional truths of theology always represent a reality of God and his doings. Yes, we study theology. Yes, we have a framework. But the framework is not the person. The person is the foundation, and the person of the foundation is Jesus Christ. The Word of God is involved here because the message of the truth is the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, the Word of God. Remember, it is the Word that he has preached about Christ 
He said back in chapter 1, he came to preach, and he came to preach the word. And that word was the word about Christ. And he has made an argument based on four Old Testament texts so far that established the authority of the Old Testament word of God. And he has spoken about the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, giving us that the revealing, the, the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God of the word has been demonstrated by Paul teaching us spiritual things with spiritual words. So the word of God is involved. But God is building a building and it is spiritual. Not so much just organizational, but it is an organization and an organism of the highest spiritual order. So what is this building that he's building? There are many metaphors in the New Testament. Let me just list several of them. I'll put them up on the screen for you. God is building a household. In other words, he's building a family. In uh, Ephesians 2.19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. He is building a household that is a family. But God is also building a building that is a holy temple in Ephesians 2. Because he goes on to say, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And you whom, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And God is building a house of living stones in First Peter chapter uh, 2, verses 4 through 8. He says, you, each of every one of you, are living stones. And God is building up this building, and, and we make up the building, but, but we are stones as if we are living. Of course, it's a metaphor. In our text this morning, Jesus Christ is the foundation of the building, which is the temple of God. He's going to get to verses 16 and 17. That's where this whole thing is headed. Verses 16 and 17 where he says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. We're going to save those two verses for next week because they're very rich and and deep in theology. But this is where this passage is headed. God is building something. He's building his church, but it is a a temple of God in which the Holy Spirit lives. So some lessons, two lessons, three lessons, I think it is to begin with here. Let's make it three. God gives grace to build on his foundation. Our gifts, our accomplishments are all of God's grace. We can take credit for none of them. Nevertheless, we're going to see that we're still responsible to properly steward God's grace that he gives to us. And you know that God gives a different measure of grace to different people. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about that. Everyone is given a different measure of of grace. Um, Everybody is given a grace gift, but some are given more grace than others. Um, Do you ever wonder why some people are better teachers than you? And maybe you're gifted as teaching. Do you ever wonder why some people speak better than you? Do you you know that, guess, guess what, there's always someone better than you. Did you know that? There's always someone better than you. And why is that? 
Because God has given them that giftedness. He's going to get to that in chapter 4, where he says, everything that you have has been given to you. Why do you act as if you got it yourself? Any giftedness you have is all of grace, and he gives us the grace to build on his foundation, which, which comes to our second lesson. We each have a part in building God's church. Every one of you, every believer in this room, every believer who is part of Valley Bible Church has been gifted by God and has a responsibility to to use that gift in this particular church if this is your church home. This is a temple of God, and we are building that. He is building that through us. Romans 12, 6, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to get there in a few weeks down the road. Ephesians 4, 7, 1 Peter 4, 10 says we are all gifted for this purpose and no one in this room is left out. And some of you are thinking, well, I can't do anything. He's not talking about me. He is talking about you. I'm not talking about you. He is talking about you. You have something to give. You have something to offer. There is some place of value for your giftedness that he has given to you, and the purpose is to build the church, not just to keep it to yourself. It is to build up his church. And he leaves no one out. Every one of you have been valued and gifted by God to be able to do something for his glory. Third, we must therefore be careful to build on the lasting foundation. Pay attention. Watch out. Give it attention that whatever it is you are doing and building, that it is on the foundation, that your work is commensurate, corresponding to the foundation who is the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't have the foundation right, what happens to the building? We saw that a couple of weeks ago when Chris showed the, the video of the church in, or the building in, um, in Texas. The foundation was wrong. I had to blow it up. And we don't want to be a leaning church. We don't want to be a church that topples. We don't want to be defective. We don't want to be flawed. We don't want shoddy workmanship. We don't want to be a faulty tower. Anybody know what faulty towers is? Yeah. yeah. One writer said this. His name is Barrett. He said, Paul does not mean that it would be impossible to construct a community on a different basis. Only that such a community will not be the church. Foundation must be Jesus Christ or it's not really a church. And there are many, even have church in the name, their foundation is not Jesus Christ. It is manly cleverness. It is the wisdom of the world. It is um, self-help. Tons of things. We've been talking about them for weeks. The foundation is the church, and we must be careful to keep the foundation Christ because of depravity, because of self-deception, because of spiritual battle. There will always be a temptation for us to adjust, to refine, and to change the foundation because there's something newer and better and more clever and is working because it's pragmatic. No, we're going to do it the the old-fashioned way, okay? Based upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. So, take care 
to build on the foundation of Christ. And then we see in verses 12 through 15, watch out, take care, pay attention to build for the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. Now, we don't see the word glory in here, but we have seen it in the context. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul said this, um, we speak, uh, we speak God's wisdom in a, mis- in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. We were predestined for the glory of God to participate in his glory somehow. He said, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. We are destined, we are predestined to share and participate in the glory of the Lord of the glory. That is where we're headed. And so everything is moving that way, so we need to be careful that we build to that purpose. And this is God's plan for us to participate in that glory. Here's the principle we see in verses 12 through 13. The principle involved. We will be held accountable for the stewardship of grace. Just as Paul was given grace to build on the foundation, just as each of us have been given spiritual gifts, we will be held accountable by God for the stewardship, the management, how we live out and use the grace that is given to us. Every individual Christian is accountable in how we build his church. And one day we will stand before God and he's going to say, so I gave you this. I gave you this much money. I gave you these kinds of talents. I gave you this much time. How did you do? So many parables. Jesus spoke of that. The investment of what we have been given for him and a day of accounting that will come. And so here's the day of accounting in verses 12 and 13. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Let's just stop there for a minute. The building needs to be completed. You don't just build a foundation. I mean, many times you've seen in around here other places where you drive, someone starts a house or a building and they pour the foundation, they run out of money, something happens, and it just sits there for a long time. What good is that? Kids skateboard on it, I guess, and mark it with uh, you know, gangs and stuff like that, but it's useless. It's just a foundation. So the building has to be built, and we're building that building. And he says, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, meaning not just jewels, but it could mean marble or ivory or something like that. Though not ivory is not a stone, but like uh, marble. But of course, wood, hay, and straw are all combustible. And there's going to be a match lit to these things. And he, the building must be completed. And he's going to say again in verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? That's where he's headed. The day that is coming in verse 13 says this, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. What is the day that he's talking about? Remember back in chapter 7, verses, chapter 1, verse, rather, verses 7 and 8, He commended the Corinthians because they were awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus. We will stand before him blameless, and that is his work. 
Him making us holy on that day, that's his work. When Christ returns on that day, we will be found blameless because we are in Christ. But there is also a revelation of fire that will reveal the lasting quality of all that we have done, each and every one of us, in which we have labored to build up his church. He gives this list of building material, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and you can see the, the difference is between those that are going to last and those things that a fire would just burn up. When you, when you put a, a match to wood and hay and straw, what do you have left over at the end? Nothing. Ashes. It's gone. Gold, silver, precious stones. If a, if a house had those materials in it, uh, they might get scorched. Um, gold might even melt a little, but it's not going to be consumed by the fire. That doesn't happen. And that's what it is about. It's about what is going to last. And when he says this, notice the words, your work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed and the fire will test it. I don't like the word quality in the NAS, but who am I? But the, but the word test here means to, to show what it is, demonstrates what it is, that it is something that is lasting. The whole point is, is not that the gold is more, uh, more valuable than wood. It's just that it lasts, that which will last for eternity. You need to know that whatever you do for the Lord will someday be made known. And that means of what, much of what you do right now that others don't know about, God knows that. We must remember we're not doing it for others, we're doing it for him. And the testing is, is to, to demonstrate what the works are, that they are lasting or not lasting. I was looking this week about uh, how gold was tested. I was curious well, how do you find out whether something is 10 carat or 14 carat or 20 carat or whatever it is? And there are basically three ways. There's, they have an instrument where there's a probe and they'll take something. I don't take this off very often. But they, you know, the, the probe goes on the gold and it can tell, that it, number one, that it's gold. And then it can tell the, the carat weight too. Another way of demonstrating is, is you can weigh the, the um, specific gravity in water. And it can, you know, there's a chart that will tell you whether it's 14 carat or whatever the carat of gold is. The old-fashioned way is they have a, it's like a, a stone, and they will take a piece of gold and scratch it on the stone, and uh, basically it leaves shavings, and then they have three different kinds of acids. And they will take uh, an acid and put over that, that stripe. If the, if the acid melts the gold, then it's not of that quality. Say if it's... Um, um, 10 carat, is 10 carat right? Yeah, 10 carat gold, and they use the 10 carat acid, you will see the stripe go all the way through. But the higher of purity, it will, it will melt that gold and it just disappears. But what you have left over, it, what, it is, what does it do? It shows that it is gold. It shows what it is. The man on the video, he, he had a uh, a bracelet that he had found in doing metal detector. You know what kind of people those are. But anyway, he had this bracelet, and it looked like gold, but he tested it. It was nothing. It was, it was nothing. 
It wasn't gold at all. It wasn't even gold-plated, but it looked like gold. On that day, we will see what our works are. They will all be revealed. No secrets. Nothing held back. God will show all that there is. And he will reveal whether our work was done wisely or whether it was done as shoddy workmanship that will become known. You know, we have some good builders in our church. And I always find it interesting, the, the skill of someone who's a builder. I've been with guys and they walk into a room and they're, they're always looking around, you know. They come into a room and yeah, that's out of plumb there. And, you know, what kind of material did they use? It's kind of shoddy workmanship. And builders know that stuff, right? When, uh, when I was in Iraq, I was in Iraq with a Marine Corps battalion and it was a reserve battalion. We had people from all different backgrounds. And it was, uh, we spent an Easter weekend at a college that had been burned and bombed out. Not completely, but it was, it was, uh, no one was there. And there was a guy in the battalion who, uh, who was a builder. And we were walking around because uh, when we first drove up in our con- convoy, I thought, wow, what, a beautiful, what beautiful buildings. And walking around with him, he was going, these guys don't know how to build. He said, this the material they're using is, is, is shoddy. The workmanship is horrible. And he said, you know what? I, I wrangle with, um, with building inspectors all the time, but I can see in, in the United States there's a purpose to, to building code. And I'm, I'm, I don't like dealing with those guys. He said, but you know what? This, this is what you get when there are no building codes. Um, one writer, Bob, Bob Deffenbaugh, put it this way. And I think this, this, this is helpful to us, that we have a building code in building the building. The code is Christ. There's the building code. And then you have the skilled builder. But one day the inspector is going to come, right? And he's going to look at the tag. He's going to put a match to it. And he's going to inspect our work and see if it will last. So in this case, the first three cannot be built up, burned up. But the last three are easily destroyed and consumed by the fire, resulting in nothing. So the outcome in verses 14 and 15, the result of our work on the day of Christ. Some will receive reward, verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. This is the good news for us. This is the, this is the part that uh, encourages us. We need to lay hold of this because I think uh, we're not like the Corinthians and Paul is not going to scold us. But on that day, all that we have done for him will remain and we will receive a reward. Something remains. Again, gold, gold, silver, precious stones cannot be consumed by fire. But our work that we do for him is going to last for eternity. It will have eternal consequences. The things that you do for him today have eternal consequences. Therefore, we have to have an eternal mindset. And we need to know that even the small things that people do will demonstrate some great value to God in eternity when we stand before him. We have no idea how he might use small things. So be encouraged. I know some of you may feel like you have just spinning your will sometimes and you don't feel like you're really doing anything for the Lord or maybe you have um, 
done something over the years. You, you tried to do a Bible study. You tried to disciple someone, and they walked away from the Lord. You taught a Sunday school class, and you didn't feel like you were getting through, and, or no one came to it. You know what? God knows. It doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile. It doesn't mean that it was wood, hay, and stubble. Who brings the results? Remember? God is the one who brings the results. There are missionaries that have served on the field for decades that we look up to as spiritual giants who have very few converts because that was God's choice for them. And it may be our choice, God's choice for us. What you do for the Lord is not in vain. Paul would say later in chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And though you may feel like you're not getting anywhere and you're not doing anything of value and nobody knows my name and I'm not doing anything important, don't give up. Be steadfast, be immovable, but abound in that work, knowing that one day he is going to reward you. And it will come forth. That means also on the other side of this, we need to be careful about criticizing others that we don't think they're doing anything or they're not doing enough. It's one thing if there's overt sin in someone's life and we need to take care of that, yes. But, but we need to be careful and we need to challenge people to do something if they're not. But we need to be careful about those who might be doing something behind the scenes that we're not aware of and somehow thinking that they're of lesser value than us because we're doing more. No. By the way, one of the things we talked about at the uh, retreat last week that we want to focus on this next year, we believe in every member ministry, that every person in this room, every person in this church has been gifted by God and has a specific place, and we want to do a better job of matching you with the place and the giftedness that God has called you and given to you. So be aware, okay? We want to give you opportunities for that reward rather than squandering what he's given to you. So so some will get reward, but verse 15 tells us some will suffer loss. This is somber, it really is. He says in verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, that just sounds horrible, doesn't it? He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This person, we, any one of us, we might miss the reward that we might have had. And I know that that's a a bit of a conundrum, because I believe in the in the ultimate sovereignty of God in all things. But the scriptures often present things to us like there are possibilities if this happens then that might happen if you will do this then you will be blessed if you don't do such and such then this will happen to you and so uh, I believe in the sovereignty of God and that's mysterious but in some way we will miss out if we squander what he's given to us the consequences for us being lazy we're not building upon the foundation, um, are not good. 
This is a mystery to me. But notice he says, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. As the Old Testament prophets say, a brand plucked from the fire. Or people joke joke about people going to heaven and they smell like smoke when they get there because their holy garments are singed with the fire. There's no purgatory, by the way. This is not what this is talking about. But he's saying, you know, you know where the where the phrase "saved by the skin of your teeth" came from? It's this idea. We don't want to arrive in heaven barely. I mean, it's it's all of God's grace. And so we need to think clearly about this. It's, it's like a firefighter res- rescuing someone from a, a burning building. They've lost the burning house. They've lost everything. Their pictures. Their you know the the their dream home, all they have is their life. They escape with their life. It's enough, right? It's adequate. But certainly there's loss that they have suffered. In the same way, some who have invested in eternity, there are rewards and treasure to be had that go before them. And others have squandered their resources and will arrive with nothing to show for it. It's sobering. But let's be clear with this lesson, okay? Let's be clear. Salvation is a gift and not a reward. Salvation is a gift and not a reward, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. However, reward is given based on the stewardship of the gift of grace we will be held accountable. That is the stewardship of the salvation graced to us and the gifts that come with it. So we have to distinguish between salvation and rewards. Salvation is not earned by good works, but a life of faith and obedience is the result of salvation, isn't it? And rewards can be lost. Salvation cannot, ever, not ever. Be lost. This is a warning to the Corinthians. These words were not meant to be an encouragement to them. He was warning them because they were trusting the, uh, on a foundation of hu- human wisdom and, and cleverness and uh, uh, clever speaking and, and the, the, the power and the things of the world. And he's saying, you guys, you're Christians, but I'm telling you, you're going to lose. You're going to lose out on God's best if you don't get back to the foundation who is Jesus Christ. So what are the works that last? Let's just talk about that for a moment. Um, We cannot always say what a specific work is that will last into eternity. For instance, we can't say anytime you read the Bible, you're going to get credit for that. Anytime you pray, anytime you volunteer for a Sunday school class, it may not be. If you are fleshly, if you are immature, if you're doing it for the wrong reason, if you're cheating, if it's shoddy work, etc., 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 but we can offer these are the standards that the scriptures give to us. So I have seven, okay? There's seven, <laughs> um, and we're going to take a little sidelight with motivation. This is not exhaustive by any way, by any means. 
These are works that conform to his word. They must always conform to his word. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. The word of God does that. Second of all, these are works that are done for the sake of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.23, this is something we should always remember, should always be at the forefront of our mind, that we should be saying things, in, preaching the, the gospel to ourselves, saying, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That's what Paul said, all things for the sake of the gospel. And the works that last are for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Are we seeking his glory and not our own? Works that last are, are those that are done with a proper motivation. We're going to look at uh, um, several of these. For instance, our motivation should be that we do things for the Lord, for the Lord. Colossians 3.23, notice the language. Whatever you do. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward. The reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now the motivation is to be pleasing to him. Second Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 Paul has been talking about the resurrection and he would rather be absent from the body and, and home with the Lord. And, there, and then he says in verse 9, Therefore we have as our ambition, this is our occupation in life, whether we are in heaven with him or on this earth, our ambition is to be pleasing to him. We know what that means, right? That we, I don't have to spell it out for you. We know that when our thoughts and our words and our deeds are pleasing to him, and notice what he says, because we, will all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is not salvation. This is reward. Another motivation is just being conscious of rewards and our accountability. That you will be rewarded. The verses are many that talk, we've listed several here, there are many more of them that talk about, um, um, oh, I missed one, didn't I? Yeah, go back to pleasing man, not to please men. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 1 and 2, beware of practicing your righteousness before man to be noticed by them. You are either pleasing God or you're pleasing man, don't do that. He says, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you go to give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you. Do, 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 everybody look at me, I'm going to give to the poor. He says, don't do that. Like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. So that they may be honored by men. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. You know what their reward is? Do, 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 that's it. There ain't no more. It's the only reward they get, because it's hypocritical to be want to note, being to want to be noticed by others. 
back to the consciousness of rewards and accountability, the verses are many that speak of the fact that we will be rewarded one day. Obviously, they're given to us for a purpose to motivate us to be careful and to watch out and to walk with God properly. Yes, to separate salvation from reward. But it's important to be reminded of it. And being rewarded is obviously a perfectly good motivation for serving the Lord. But it's obvious from the rest of the scripture that our service is never selfish. It's never self-centered. It's always for him and about him. So, one, two, three, four, number five, love for him. Love for him is one of those things that lasts. It's not a motivation because love is an action. Yes, it is a motivation too, but in Matthew 22, 37, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love of Jesus is found in obedience, not just uh, some giddy feeling that we have while we're singing songs. It's found in obedience. Next, number six, love for others, because he went on to say, and the second commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving others. Love is always other-oriented. It is always seeking the best of others and not ourselves. And lastly, number seven, the fear of the Lord. Doing things in the fear of the Lord are the things that will last. Second Corinthians 5.11, Colossians 3.22, the rest of the Bible the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Second Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade people with the gospel. That will last. But what is the reward? Paul doesn't say. I'm not going to speculate. There are crowns and all that stuff we could get into. But here Paul just says, There will be a reward one day we will be rewarded, and we know that. So the conclusion of the matter is this, this morning. The rewards God will bestow on us for faithful service will be great. That's encouraging. But the other side of the equation given in this passage is, but so also will be the consequences for squandering his gifts. Should motivate us. To walk with him. Do you want to hear when you stand before him, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or do you want to hear, well, you're done. You just made it. I think the words of our Savior to us, saying, well done, what a reward that would be to know that we have served well. We have acquitted ourselves ourselves with Obedience and holiness and Christ-likeness and selflessness and humility and all the things, all the things Christ. And that's what we move toward.